We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. This is Blue Wire. Welcome to the Eurostep episode 25. I'm Kane Pittman and I'm joined by Ty Windish as always. And Ty, after what feels like months, we finally know who the Bucks are going to be playing in the Eastern Conference Finals. The Raptors beat the Sixers in one of the most ridiculous ways I've ever seen in my life. Uh, were you watching the game at all last night? I was sort of in and out. Uh, I'm a, I'm a uh, devoted Thrones watcher, so I was Ooh. watching Thrones. But, I was wondering. I was wondering about the timing of that. How did that match up? Had that started yet? Oh yeah. So Thrones is on at eight. So I think uh, it was like the early part of Thrones was when it was going down. I started the episode a little late too. I didn't watch it at home, but um, it was. I knew something crazy was going on because I'm getting texts from people who I know and they know I'm a <laughs> basketball person, and they're not really basketball people. Like my dad, who will watch Bucks games but isn't generally a huge NBA guy, is just lighting up my phone like. Oh, OMG, Butler, OMG, Kawhi. I'm just like, what could possibly be going on? And, of course, you know, ESPN and everything and Twitter always has the clips. And, you know, you see how it ended specifically with the shot and the, the four bounces. And I, I, I took a small break from Thrones for that. And it was – this is like the biggest Thrones episode ever, so that's saying something. Uh, it was uh, it was complete insanity. I was watching uh, with a couple of friends that uh, – at uh, a bar just off Brady Street, Balzac for the, for the local people. That's uh, you 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 know you'll see me there a lot. I'm friends with the people that work there, and I was watching the game. And it's generally a pretty quiet sort of bar, and you know not not your typical sports bar. But uh, when that shot went down, uh, everyone lost it. It was it was really fun. And I think that you know I mean obviously there's never been a game winner like that in a game seven, so it just 
by itself in that regard, it, it was um, a historic shot. But the way that it happened and to think that the Sixers season ended like that and the Raptors season, you know, moves on now to take the Bucks was just ridiculous in itself. And it was it was funny. So we went to, to Bucks practice today. And obviously that was a question that um, – you want to ask what were the Bucks doing? Were they watching the game together? And uh, I read a story earlier uh, today, and, and Brogdon didn't speak with the with the media today. But there was a, a story came out that he was watching uh, across the road from Fiso Forum at the Mecca uh, Bar with uh, Divincenzo, Bonzi Colson, and, and Tim Fraser, and, and they said they watched the game together. Uh, Mike Budenholzer said that he and the, and the entire Bucks uh, sort of coaching staff watched the game together. Um, George Hill, on the other hand, said that he did not watch the game. He wasn't even thinking about the game. He was out for dinner with his wife, and he was worried that his wife would be mad if he was if he said he was going to watch basketball on Mother's Day. So George Hill did not watch the game. Uh, Eric Bledsoe was out for dinner, and he said that he had to sort of hide the fact that he was watching the watching the game on his phone while out, out for dinner with his wife. But he said in the end, his phone died, and his wife said, fine, just watch the game on my phone. I don't care. <laughs> so Bledsoe was sort of sneakily watching the game on his phone out for dinner. But just a, uh, I mean, just a crazy way for it all to happen. And when you think about, and, and I've had a lot of people sort of asking me, what are the Bucks going to do? Uh, to counter obviously their their poor game one against Boston after such a long layoff and it's it's really interesting because there just could not be a bigger contrast in the way these two teams prepare the Bucks have six days off before game one they cruise through the second round as they did the first round and the Raptors literally need the last shot of the game to win the series against the Sixers they're only going to have a couple of days off before um, traveling obviously to, to Milwaukee for game one so I, I mean, I guess we can start right there. What do you think that means? Uh, are you concerned about that? Uh, how do you manage this if you're the Bucks? So I'm hoping that after the the sort of punch in the mouth that was game one against Boston, that the Bucks will be more prepared for this game one. I think it might help that the Raptors are just not a good game one franchise, uh, even you know, people told me that was going to be over this year. These are different Raptors, and then they go and lose game one of the Magic. So, you know, we'll see sort of how that holds up. But I would hope that the Bucks sort of took the lessons from that last game one to heart. I mean, you, you would probably even know more about me than this, but it, it feels like this is a team that when they get when they lose, when they lose big, but when they lose it all, honestly, they kind of take it personally. They hate it. You know, this is why this team, you know, was so mad about losing twice in a row the only time they did all season because they just hate losing that much. So I think that sort of that memory ingrained in them from the last series game one, I feel like the Bucks will come out with enough enough pep in their step to avoid a repeat of that. Yeah, I tend to agree. It's interesting. This is gonna this has been something that we've been talking to the players about over the last few days. Uh, since they clinched the series against Boston, and um, they they sort of, I mean, they're very aware of the situation and that they're in the same sort of boat that they were in in that game. Uh, but I, I think uh, Bud summed it up the best. He he sort of was asked the question, well, you know, what do you do? Do you do you balance, you know, uh, obviously practicing more, um, getting your recovery. Uh, actually having some some fun time off we, you know what's the balance and and Bud sort of shrugged his shoulders and said well hopefully we do a little bit of everything but 
hopefully we, we, we come out better in game one. And that, that's the type of thing. It's really one of those things that's so rare and so strange. And um, I guess for the Bucks, the fact that they're doing it once again. Uh, so, you know, obviously having a big break between the regular season and playoffs, uh, the big break between round one and round two, and now this, it's maybe something that they're starting to get used to. But again, it's still such an unknown that uh, you really just have to try a few different things and hopefully uh, you get a different result. Uh, I know uh, Nico Miritic was, was talking with us on Saturday at practice and he said that they had a really tough practice session and they um, went through uh, a number of, of five-on-five uh, scrimmages that were pretty physical and pretty intense. And he said that it's not normally uh, you know, intensity on that level, but maybe that's what they need. Maybe they need to do some more competitive stuff during practice just to keep that that edge because uh, to a player, they've all said that they really wish that they didn't have this break and everyone wants to keep playing and sort of keeping that rhythm. So it's going to be, you know, a fine line, I think, between the Raptors being in sync and and in rhythm, I guess, and just having a a natural sort of break, uh, but also not getting the the rest that the Bucs have. So you, you feel like the Bucs have to have an edge there as the series wears on, but game one can be so pivotal as we know. Yeah, and I think one of the interesting sort of subplots for the rest thing, and now I guess we're really in the weeds. This is like the subplot to a subplot for the series. But, <laughs> you know, Toronto's uh, Pascal Siakam, who they right. kind of need to be their second best player, which is asking a lot for a, a very good young player who's really just coming to his own this season. Uh, he's coming off of, is it a quad? Now I can't remember exactly what it was. I know he had a leg injury that almost kept him out of a game in this series, and I believe he's looked a little less dynamic since the injury. And, you know, uh, Toronto's series being longer, like you said, I mean, literally down to the last, very last second and then no time on the clock, uh, I think that sort of hurts him, you know, as opposed to Malcolm Brogdon, say, who can get some rest after getting back into the game and playing. You know, Siakam's only going to have these couple days off before it's right back into the fire, especially because he's going to find himself matched up on Giannis. So it's a, it's quite the hot fire he's going to be coming back into. Yeah, it's interesting. It's a calf for, for Siakam, a right calf injury. And generally those are the types of injuries that can hang around a little bit. They don't tend to, uh, you know, not that I'm a doctor or a physio, let me clarify that, but just in general, calf injuries are not typically the injury that that go away quickly. So this might be something that he has to work through. But as you sort of mentioned, uh, this is not a guy that they can afford um, to to not play or to, or to play a limited role. Uh, he's become such a key player for everything they do. He's a versatile defender. Uh, he really transforms their offense. He's a guy that can do a lot of stuff in, in transition. And in, in some ways, he's a, uh, I've said this before, a, a, I mean, again, a very poor man's Giannis. I don't know what's the right word, but they do do some similar things in the way and they have a similar style in the way they play. Uh, like Giannis, uh, Siakam is starting uh, to to get a respectable shot from the outside. In, you know, in, in the end, he shoots 37% from three. Uh, during the regular season. So uh, that's that's more than just a little bit respectable. It's above average. We saw that he had some really big games against the Bucks, particularly uh, one game in Milwaukee where uh, the Raptors won and, and everyone was, was shooting and blazing shots from all over the place. So, yeah, I, I agree. Siakam's a guy that uh, is going to be key. And uh, uh, I think, you know, for the Raptors, 
This was something that I, I tweeted last night, and there was a few people that I, I don't, you know, that were sort of a little bit sensitive to it, saying, "Well, don't get ahead of yourself." And first of all, I, I didn't really have any reason to get ahead of myself. I'm just commenting on the series, uh, and uh, I, I said that the Raptors watching that series against Philadelphia, outside of Kawhi being superhuman and Siakam having some big moments, I didn't think they were that impressive. Uh, I thought offensively they really struggled. They didn't get contributors as they have all season long, and if they continue to struggle that way, I think they're in big. I think they're in big trouble in this series. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the most interesting parts of the series to me is that the Raptors went from last year being an egalitarian deep team that had so many guys to where now I look at them and I go, especially against the Bucs, when we we know what the Bucs point guards have done to Kyle Lowry, who I think averages six around six points per game on a very not good true shooting percentage against the Bucs this regular season. Um, it, it seems to me like the Raptors, if you can do a, a decent job on Kawhi Leonard, which is very hard to do as we've seen through two playoff rounds, but Chris Middleton has done good work on him in the regular season. And sort of not let Siakam just explode, which we already mentioned, the, the lingering injury might help with that as well. I just don't know where else they're going to beat the Bucks from. I don't know what else they have that can keep up with Milwaukee's offense. I mean, Mark Gasol is a very good player, but I, I can't see him having a huge scoring game. It just doesn't seem like that's what he does anymore. And then the rest of the Raptors, you're looking at Danny Green, who's good. He's a good 3 and D player. I don't think he's going to score a ton of points either and that's that's your starters and their bench has been bad so I think really if you can keep Kawhi realistic and limit Siakam a little bit I just think the Raptors run out of options that can really hurt the Bucks. yeah I think that's the case I'm just going through the, the Raptors uh stats from the second round against Philadelphia and the first thing that comes to mind when you when you think about this team and I agree this has been one of their strengths all season that they do uh, have a pretty deep roster uh, on on paper, but uh, when you think to last night or uh, Game Seven, uh, the Raptors only used seven players. Uh, so you talk about shortening the rotation. Uh, Nick Nurse really uh, lent heavily on his guys, but uh, you know, again, when you look through the stats, Danny Green shoots thirty uh, just thirty seven percent in the second round. Uh, Fred Van Fleet twelve percent from the field in the second round. Uh, and Kyle Lowry, only 25% from three, taking 5.6 attempts a, a game. Uh, it, it, the list goes on, really. The Serge Barker was 21% from three, so they really, really struggled, and if it wasn't for Kawhi Leonard averaging 34.7 points per game and Pascal Siakam averaging 20, uh, they're, probably not in the, they're probably not in the running anymore. So I think they have a lot of guys that, that can hurt you uh, I, I do just have my concerns that if those guys and Danny Green's one in particular, he needs to shoot. He, he shoot thirty seven percent. He needs to be shooting mid forties from three. And we saw the game that the Raptors beat the Bucks. They've got plenty of guys that can knock down threes. They're going to have to do it consistently, and they're going to have to do that at a high percentage because uh, if they do not, I think that they're going to have a really hard time. Uh, you know, outscoring this Bucks team, who we know uh, are, you know, really an elite defensive team, the Bucks. I'll be very interested to see how the ball moves in Toronto's offense because 
I think in that Sixers series especially, a lot of times it just became the Kawhi show. And I think – I'm not going to blame Kawhi Leonard or anything like that, but I, I think a lot of the Raptors shooters not doing that well from three and their offense becoming more Kawhi-centric, I don't think those are unrelated things. I mean, we all – I think everyone who watches a lot of basketball kind of just knows this from feeling it, but – if shooters don't get the ball a lot and they don't get in rhythm, they're not going to shoot as well. Milwaukee's offense is at its best when, I mean, Giannis is scoring, of course, but he's moving the ball around. Everyone's getting involved. Everyone's in the flow of the offense. The shots come naturally. That's when shooters really knock down shots. When you force shots, when you're cold, when you haven't touched the ball in five minutes, it just gets harder. And I think, you know, can they now unlearn playing so Kawhi-centric that quickly? That'll be interesting to watch. I just, it's such a hard balance to strike between relying on your guy and not leaving off everyone else off of the boat. I think the Rockets struggle with this a lot. And I think that's why they can succumb to going 0 for 27 is Harden takes 10 straight step back threes and then nobody else can hit a shot. I don't think that's just coincidental. Yeah, I think it's interesting. I think there's some lessons to be learned. Uh, for the Raptors from the Celtic series with the Bucks, and um, we saw a lot of that, and it was something that we discussed a lot. Uh, I think it was something that became more and more obvious as the season went on, and the Celtics really struggled to break away from that. And that uh, is the fact that you can't you can't be sucked into having one guy go isolation and try and take on the whole Bucks defense and shoot jump shots. Now, you know Kawhi Leonard, obviously. Uh, made a pretty high percentage of those, obviously not in game seven. He was firing away a a crazy, crazy rate, honestly. Um, But uh, he he is a guy that is so crafty with the ball. And I tend to think just with his size and the way uh, he's really high release on that jump shot. I mean, you think to the shot last night to get that over Embiid, who was right in his face. He's a little uh, more difficult to stop than Kyrie in terms of getting his own jump shot. But... Again, I, I do agree with what you say. If he is, is taking that many shots and, and he's trying to dribble around, uh, you know, taking turnaround shots, getting in the post, I think the Bucks are going to be very, very, very happy to live with those results, regardless of what happens. Chris Middleton, obviously, is a guy that's defended uh, Kawhi Leonard uh, on a really, really high percentage um, of those uh, games that they've played. And... Middleton's had really great results on Leonard. And, and I think from the outside, we've seen some conversation that uh, perhaps people assume that Giannis is, is going to be the guy to defend uh, Kawhi Leonard. Uh, I don't think that's the case at all. I, I think they definitely start with, with Chris Middleton, um, and he's the guy that they trust uh, right out of the gates in this series. Yeah, I agree. I mean, that's what we've seen all season long, really, uh, is Middleton used mostly on Kawhi and I think it's easy to sort of, from a, I guess, farther back perspective, go, well, Giannis is so big and athletic and a good defender. Why would you not just use him? But, I mean, I feel like we've seen all season that when he can play that more help defender role, I think he's even more useful to the Bucks, uh, And especially not just because he's not a good on-ball defender or just because he's a good off-ball defender. I think one of the big sort of maybe not talked about as much reasons is it keeps him out of drawing fouls when he's guarding guys, which, I mean, I, I think he's cleaned this up a lot in his career. He went from a lot of defensive fouls to not many and then 
picked up a good amount of offensive fouls for a while. I think he's tried to cut back on those. I mean, I know he's tried. I think he's cut back on those too. But I, I think anytime you can keep a player that important out of foul trouble, it's always something you want to do. Yeah, I, I think that so it's kind of funny because I think this is something that people forget or people don't realize when when they when they look at Kawhi Leonard, they're like, oh well, you know, you're gonna have to go, uh, you're gonna have to go with Giannis. He's got the size. Kawhi Leonard is six seven two thirty. Chris Middleton is six eight two twenty five. Chris Middleton is a big big guy, and I, I think people forget how big he is. And it's 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 rare for for teams to have multiple guys that you you're like, yeah, they they got the size to to go with Kawhi Leonard at the forward position. But Chris Middleton is definitely one of those. He has the length. Uh, to contest shots and, and yeah just in general has the size he's quick enough to to sort of uh, keep in front of Kawhi uh, and we know that when he's been given a job at times uh, on, on some of the better players in the league he's, he's rarely let the team down this year and uh, this is a guy that, that Bud trusts to defend Kevin Durant one-on-one and he, when you talk about size yeah, that's a big guy right there so a lot of trust with Chris Middleton defending Kawhi Leonard and I totally agree uh, with Giannis being the, the sort of floater but I will say that Giannis is also, for mine, one of the only guys in the Bucks team that you want to be defending uh, Pascal Siakam as well because, you know, Siakam's such an uh, athletic player, um, particularly, you know, if they can get some semi-transition possessions going, which I think is what the Raptors are going to have to try to do, uh, then Siakam becomes pretty dangerous. If it's in the half court, we know that Siakam, as I said, shot 37%, just a tick under 37% in the regular season. But I think you'll probably see the Bucks give him room on the perimeter as they've done plenty of times before and, and live with the results. Now, if Siakam is uh, you know, on fire from three like he was in that game at Fiserv early in the season, then maybe you're forced to adjust a little bit. But I, I'm sort of expecting that the Bucks are going to stick to their guns and as long as these guys aren't getting in the paint, then they're going to be very happy with, with, with what the, the Raptors are getting. Yeah, that's going to be that specifically letting Siakam shoot is going to be something very that I watch closely. As you said, very effective shooter in the regular season, under 31% in the playoffs so far, dealing with a nagging calf injury. Mm-hmm. That to me screams, you know what? If Pascal Siakam banged up, beats us from three, a game will adjust, but I would make him do it first because if you just say Giannis off of him to make life so much harder for, I mean, mostly Kawhi, all the other Raptors, but, you know, the real goal is Kawhi. And you leave Siakam open, maybe he does beat you. I don't think so, and I don't think that's a way that anyone with the Raptors is used to playing, and we've seen the Bucks do this all year. I mean, they'll if they don't think you can beat them with the three, they'll say, okay, go ahead, prove us wrong. And sometimes teams do or players do, sometimes they don't. So I think that's going to be fascinating to see how much space Giannis and, and Bud, by extension, give Siakam uh, in the half-court looks, at least. Yeah, I, I do think, and this is just my feeling heading into the series, but I do think that the Bucks are going to go back uh, to their base defense and, and what we've seen all year to start the series, at least. Now, obviously, the concerns should be gone from Bucks fans that Bud isn't going to adjust on the fly if he needs to. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I, I do think that they are going to try and go back to their normal pick-and-roll coverage. Now, 
the concern we, we, when we spoke about this all year that they, that they do want to give up mid-range jump shots, but when you've got a lethal uh, shooter in the mid-range, then maybe you need to reconsider that. Obviously, Kawhi Leonard is that guy. Uh, he's going to be handling the ball a lot, and he does like to take those shots. So it'll be interesting to see what happens there. But you know, as I said, and uh, as we discussed, uh, you know, in terms of Leonard, I think it's going to be evolve as the series goes. But uh, you know, to start, uh, I don't expect to see anything you know other than Chris Middleton guarding him, uh, and the Bucks will trust him. They might they'll send some help, and we're seeing all year that when they have Lopez protecting the paint back there, Giannis floating a little bit. Those are the two guys that you look to help. Uh, in, in those situations if, if Kawhi is looking to back down Middleton. But uh, I, I do sort of trust the size of Middleton and, and he's um, put in a couple of really good performances on on Leonard so far. It's interesting, I, you know, when we look at the numbers and I, I spoke about the Raptors' offensive struggles. So this was a team that had the fifth best offense uh, in the regular season with an offensive rating of 112.5. So far in the playoffs, they are down in ninth uh, out of 16 with a 108.5. So, look, it's only four points per 100 possessions uh, down, but it does sort of signify uh, some of the struggles they've had. Now they come up against the Bucks, who is the best defense uh, in, in the league uh, through the regular season. Uh, it, it's going to be tough for them. Uh, I, I think that they could get a boost, not so much offensively, but defensively, OG Ananobi may be returning. There's some rumors that he might return, which would be a big... Uh, boost for him, but the Bucks obviously have their boost, and we've spoke a lot about the Raptors. Let's talk a, a little bit about what the Bucks are going to do. Uh, Malcolm Brogdon uh, says that he's feeling hundred percent, and that, if true, is uh, is going to be a big boost for the Bucks. And I feel like that's kind of a a go to thing for a guy to say yeah, in the yeah. situation. But you know, caveat to that, I mean, he looked. Not rusty in Game Five against the Celtics. I mean, we both we talked about this. I think we were both pretty surprised just at how comfortable he looked, shooting, driving, everything. I mean, defending. I mean, he got right into it on defense, and I thought he was aggressive. It didn't look like he was hesitating at all. Which, you know, it's easy to be a little bit slower, maybe a little bit more hesitant on your first game back. But he jumped right into it, so maybe he really is feeling one hundred percent. I have one more stat I wanted to add on the Raptors' offense versus the Bucks. Quickly, can I do that? Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm annoyed. I'm, I'm annoyed about it, but you can, you can go ahead, make it good. All right. Well, yeah. Well, I think, <laughs> I think so. So after Game One against Boston, where the Bucks scored just 90 points, they scored 123, 123, 113, and 116 in the four wins against Boston. So Philly only scored 100 against the Raptors twice in that series. Toronto lost both games. Philly managed 116 in game three and 112 in game six. And I just think, I mean, you can give credit to the Raptors defense for helping manage the Sixers, but I mean, it helps that they were kind of figuring out how to use Ben Simmons in the playoffs on the fly and Embiid was either banged up or sick or had to poop the whole series and just a lot going on there. I don't want to get too too into it there uh you know some things hit the fan I guess maybe literally but I just think you can't expect the Bucks to score 100 twice over seven games and if the Raptors struggle to win when they give up 100 what's going to happen when the Bucks do 123 and I still think even through a, an eight and one record in the postseason the Bucks have not clicked all the way in my opinion if they do we've seen they can put up more than 120 and I just think 
if when that happens, I don't see how the Raptors keep up. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's sort of where I'm at. I mean, I, at this point, uh, you have to trust the Bucks' defense that outside of Toronto having an outlier shooting night, it's going to be hard to, or it is hard to see that the Bucks' defense is just going to completely uh, implode. I, it's just not something that we've seen you know, through this entire season. So my feeling is, as you sort of touched on, if the Bucs are going to lose games, uh, they're probably going to give up 110 plus. Now, the question will be whether the Raptors have enough guys that they can consistently put up, you know, 115, 120 points four times in a series. I kind of question whether they can do that. Uh, And this is not... I'm I'm a big fan of this Raptors team. I think that they have a, a lot of weapons, and I think that they can, you know, have a game or two like that. And they've had such a, a strong regular season and, and been a good team for years. But uh, yeah, I just have my questions over whether they're going to be able to put enough points up against this Bucks team to to win. Uh, I think a big part of that. Um, you know, he's my concerns over Kyle Lowry, and we haven't really touched on that. And I, I don't know how much we need to talk about it. He really, really struggles against the Bucs. Bledsoe uh, appears to be in his head. Uh, and and the bad news for Kyle Lowry is even if uh, Bledsoe sits on the bench, now he's got George Hill out there who's playing just incredible basketball at the moment. So if you're Kyle Lowry, someone that has, you know, really struggled in the playoffs through your whole career anyway, uh, this is not a good matchup for you. So uh, I, that's basically you know, where uh, my concerns are for the Raptors. And to, if you look at it from their point of view or how they can how they can get into this series, but for the Bucs, I think one of the biggest decisions they're going to have to make, um, just purely in, in terms of personnel, is what they do with Brogdon and Miritich. And uh, I, you may as well kick us off with how you think that's going to that's gonna play out if, as, as you sort of just hinted, that Brogdon is 100% and, and no minute limitation, which is not something that has been indicated at this point. Yeah, it, it hasn't. It's it's tough. I like the Nico starting unit. I really, I do, I did, whatever. But here's the thing. We, we've already talked about a little bit about some of the forward matchups. I mean, we both, I think, expect Giannis will guard Siakam and then Chris will guard Kawhi. I would assume Brooke Lopez continues to start. I mean, I guess that's something we could talk about too if, if maybe there's more options than just... Nico or Malcolm, I, I think that would be a, a shock because we've never seen it, but who knows. But then you look at, you know, there's there's a, a center left for the Raptors, presumably. I'm, I'm assuming they will continue to bring Serge Ibaka off the bench and start Marc Gasol. So then we'll say Lopez on Marc Gasol, and then they'll have Kyle Lowry and Danny Green. So pretty obvious Bledsoe will, will cover, hound, harass, horrify Kyle Lowry. And then you have Danny Green. It makes more sense aesthetically for sure to have Malcolm Brogdon guard Danny Green. Like They're just players who logically match up. I mean, could Nico do it? Probably. I mean, he would tell you he can. He's, he's high on his defense. I don't know that I love the idea of him chasing a small guard around screens, especially one who can shoot as well as Danny Green. I mean, you talked about earlier. If he shoots 45% on a good volume, that could be huge for them. I think there's more chance he does that against Nico than against Brogdon. So maybe maybe in that regard, if the Raptors keep the same starters, you'd rather go smaller here. But 
I do see some some merit in saying, well, who cares what the Raptors do? The Bucks should make the Raptors adjust to them, and and I I'm not sure, just purely from a Bucks standpoint, how I feel about Nico Brogdon, just because now you're looking at how you adjust the bench. I mean, if Nico comes off the bench, you know, does Ursan play less? That's something I'm I'm pretty okay with. On the other hand, if it's Brogdon, then I'm guessing Pat C plays less. It, it's tough. I mean, there's so many options. I don't know if there's a for sure bad one, but I do, like I said, I do like Brogdon on Danny Green better than Nico on Danny Green. Yeah, if we look at the the rotation from – well, let's, let's look at the Game 5 rotation for the guys that you, you think are going to play. So um, if you if you look back at, at that game, then it, it, the Bucks are probably going to run a nine-man rotation, and I, I can't really see that changing. Um, so the guys off the bench would obviously be George Hill, Pat Connaughton, Ersan Sova, and uh, Malcolm Brogdon. So that's going to be your four guys. Now, Bud has been pretty consistent in trying, at least trying, to keep the minutes down uh, for, for the starters and, and not for any other reason other than he just really trusts the, the guys off the bench. So obviously in game four in Boston, it was a little bit closer and Giannis plays closer to uh, you know higher 30 minutes. But uh, – or sorry, game three that was. But um, – I think that it's pretty safe to say he's going to run the nine-man rotation. Now, I do think that that's an interesting point you make about Miritich and Danny Green because what I will say is I, I thought that Miritich performed pretty well in the uh, in the switching defense against Boston, but I think there's a big difference in the style of play between Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, and Danny Green. So Brown and Tatum were looking to put the ball on the floor and take Miritich off off the dribble. It's a fine theory, but Nico actually has surprisingly quick feet and was able to use his body and at least put them under a little bit of pressure. It's a different scenario, as you said, if Danny Green is running running the baseline and running around the perimeter looking to take um, open threes and get, get free for open threes. So that's where Miritich could be exposed a little bit defensively if, if, if that's what they want to do, but also... Uh, I, I just think Danny Green is so far down in the totem pole of, of who Bud's going to care about defensively that I'm not sure whether he's going to be too worried at all to start anyway. So while Brogdon played that first game and played 16 minutes and now has had a week off, the recovery is probably good for him, but I also feel like he's still going to be underdone. And I, if I had to guess, and we're not going to know until pregame Wednesday, if I had to guess, uh, I think Miritich may start game one. I do think that that could change through the series. And I think at some point we might see Brogdon back in the starting lineup. But uh, either way, um, I think there's one thing that we can be sure of. And that is if it's a close game and the Bucks need a big shot late in the fourth quarter, I think you should expect to see Brogdon on the floor. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I have two quick things for you. One, would you ever see a world where Bud starts the very interesting lineup of Bledsoe, Brogdon, Middleton, Giannis, Miritich. Well, I don't think so. And the reason I don't think so is because I think that Lopez is actually a really, really good matchup for Marcus Gasol. I think it's a tough matchup for Marcus Gasol. <clears throat> and I'm actually, excuse me, I'm actually thinking more on the offensive end because... Uh, you know, Gasol was able to cheat a little bit on Joel Embiid because 
if you're playing against the Sixers, you're very happy to see Joe Allen Bede settling for jump shots. Uh, that's not the case with Lopez. And Casal cannot afford to give Lopez space because he's just going to shoot threes and didn't have a great shooting second round, but he's going to make threes at some point. We know that. The, 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 the percentages, the averages tell you that. And eventually he's going to start hitting threes. So that forces Gasol out of the paint. Maybe it's not Gasol. Maybe it's a Barker. It forces him out of the paint. Uh, and I, I think that Lopez is such a key for protecting the paint defensively for the Bucks. So he has that major impact on both ends. Now, I could see a, I could see a world where Lopez's minutes are between 20 and 25 and maybe even a little bit you know less than they were last series around the 26-27 minute mark. But I, I just think that Lopez is so important to what this team does, not only structurally, offensively, but in, in terms of protecting the paint, being that, that rim protector that I don't really see a way that he doesn't start. Yeah, I, I agree. I just – I think it's, it's interesting, interesting to think about, yeah. Those, uh, those, lineups, those lineups have been – Pretty good, and and whether that's Miritich or Essan, they've definitely had some some pretty good results uh, through the year. So I, I don't think it's a ridiculous question. I just would be very surprised. Yeah, I think I mean why change what what what's been working so well literally all year now. The second quick thing, real quick actually, <laughs> it, it's ShipStation because when you're selling online, getting your orders out can be a real pain, Kane. I'm going to do that every time I have this ad read. It's time-consuming and it's expensive. There's so many carriers to choose from. There's no way to know if you're making the best choice unless you go to ShipStation. It's the fastest, easiest, and most affordable way to manage and ship your orders. ShipStation helps you get orders out quickly, save money on shipping costs, always important, and keep your customers happy. doesn't matter where you're selling. Amazon, Etsy, your own website, ShipStation brings all your orders into one simple interface. It makes them really easy to manage from any device, even your cell phone. And everyone wants to do more things from your cell phone. You can do it sitting down in bed. I mean, I guess watching the Bucks game, I'd, I'd probably prioritize Bucks playoff basketball over ShipStation, but I do like ShipStation. And Eurostep listeners can try it free for 60 days. That's a long time. When you use promo code BLUE, there's absolutely no risk you can start your free trial without even entering your credit card info. That's huge. Works with all the major carriers, USPS, FedEx, UPS, even Amazon Fulfillment. So you can compare and choose the best shipping option for you and your customer. No wonder ShipStation is the number one choice of online sellers. You'll ship more in less time with the best rates available. All you need to do is visit ShipStation.com. Click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in BLUE, B-L-U-E, as in blue wire, but just blue. ShipStation.com, enter promo code BLUE. ShipStation, Kane, make ship happen. Oh, you're going to be absolutely shipping me. That's an, that's an incredible, <laughs> that's an incredible, that's an incredible deal. We're just talking ship here. We are, we are, as usual. Yeah. Uh, no, well, it's good to have a new new uh, sponsor on board. That's that's exciting for for Blue Wire. But look, we're uh, getting very close to the end here, and uh, we our, our next podcast is going to be after Game One of, of the Eastern Conference Finals, the Bucks' first Eastern Conference Finals game 
in 18 years. It's 7.30, Wednesday night at Fiserv Forum, uh, Bucks and Raptors. But I think before we finish this off, have you got any any last things you want to go before I, before I hit the predictions? Yeah, I got I got one more Bucks thing. Let's do it. So we saw Bledsoe have mixed success, and George Hill have a lot of success this last series. I would expect both of them to have a lot of success because the two players Toronto plays at point guard are Kyle Lowry and Fred Van Vliet. They're tiny, man. Kyle Lowry met, apparently 6'1". FVV measured it at six feet even. I mean, we know both uh, Bledsoe and, and uh, Hill. They're aggressive. They're physical. They're bigger. I just think we might see them bully Toronto's point guards, which, I mean, we saw how huge George Hill's offense was, and we know how important Bledsoe's offense is to the Bucks. I mean, I think that's going to matter a lot, a lot more than people think. I mean, there's a lot of focus for good reason on Kawhi and Giannis and Chris and Pascal Siakam, of course, but this point guard battle seems like it should go wildly to the Bucks, and I mean, that's huge. Yeah, I think that's a fair assessment of what I probably expect to happen. And, and most of that is, you know, based on what we've seen in the past. I, I think that, um, you know, Kari, uh, not Kari, I mean, Kyle Lowry has had you know, real struggles. And I think that's part of it. I, I, and, it, you know, I think Bledsoe is so physical. And as you sort of said, he can sort of, both defensively and offensively, just muscle Kyle Lowry to anywhere he wants on the floor. And it's not like Kyle Lowry is not a solid uh you know player he might be lacking in height but he's pretty he's a pretty stocky uh little fella there so uh i, I just think Bledsoe, <laughs> I, I just think that bledsoe is uh so well built we've seen him at times get to the hoop and just bully guys out of the way a lot bigger than he is he's just so strong uh whereas george hill has that little bit of size a little bit of length he's going to be able to get his shot off so look i, I you know uh Bledsoe did struggle at times with his shot in that series, but one thing that I kept on saying through the whole way, he was aggressive. And defensively, I thought uh, he, he played really well. Uh, obviously, he, he sort of tag-teamed with George Hill on Kyrie Irving and really made his life uh, difficult in that series. I expect to see the same again. Van Fleet only shooting 12% against the Sixers, so he's in a real rut. I like the point guard matchup almost better than anything uh, non-Giannis-related in, in this in this series, uh, and if that goes to plan as as we see, like I've always said, Bledsoe is such a barometer for this team. When he plays well and has a positive impact, they just they rarely lose. Yeah, and then finally, just sort of a weird random thing. How about the sort of poetry of Kawhi hitting a fadeaway jumper on the opposite end of Vince Carter's fadeaway jumper miss? in Game 7 of a Raptors-Sixers series to see who would go to the conference finals to play the Bucks, Kind of a wild thing that happened there. Yeah, I mean, it was going to be one way or the other, wasn't it? It was going to be Bucks yeah. and Sixers again for the first time uh, uh, since since they were in the conference finals, and or it was going to be the Raptors getting sort of revenge from, from 18 years ago. So <clears throat> I think, you know, in the end... Uh, we're exactly where we probably thought we would be. The two two best teams in the East all year long, uh, despite what a lot of people thought and what a lot of people said was going to happen, uh, they're here. And the Bucks got through a little bit easier than, well, I'd say more than a little bit easier than the, than the Raptors. <laughs> but either way, they're here. This is a series we expected was going to happen. And when we were talking about home court advantage, that was in the balance there for a little bit through February and March. Uh, this is what they were playing for, to get to the conference finals. 
and have game one on their home floor, I think it's definitely a big swing. The Raptors are a, are a nice home court team. They've always had a nice uh, home court advantage there. Obviously, a great crowd. Uh, the Bucks have been unbelievable at home, and the Bucks got that home court. And I, I think over the course of a seven-game series, that is key. And if the Bucks can get a win in game one, then they're going to be well on their way. But uh, I guess, you know, as I said, we're not going to speak to after game one. So I think we have to give a prediction now. I almost worry that I'm that I'm being – I wonder if I'm being too reserved, but I, I said it on Twitter already, so I'll stick with it. Bucks in six. Yeah, I can see that. I, I don't think that the series is going seven. Uh, and I, I thought you were going to say what I, I've sort of predicted. And, and it's – this is the same thing that I predicted against Boston. Uh, I just think if uh, if the Bucks win the first two games, I don't think it's going more than five. Uh, and this, you know, again, I, like I said, I, there's a little bit to do with the, the fact that I'm concerned that the Raptors uh, don't have enough guys contributing right now, and the Bucks seem to be firing on on all cylinders now. Obviously, that can change from series to series, and we're yet to see how the Bucks respond to Game One, but. I just have so much trust for this Bucks team when they play at home. Uh, they're just so motivated. And Giannis, I mean, I know Kawhi's been superhuman, but Giannis is just on this level right now where it's hard to watch him play and think that his team is not going to lose. Uh, I think if the Bucks win the first two games, I think they're trying to pinch one on the road. Yet to lose on the road in the playoffs, 4-0 and so far. They pinch one on the road, they get to come home to game five and maybe finish this thing off. So, uh, you know, I could certainly see it going six for sure. Um, but you know, I it would not surprise me at all to see the Bucks win this in five. It it wouldn't shock me. I just kind of like the like Verizon bars of first round and four, second and five, third and six, and then I mean I'm pretty much locked into if the Bucks win this one to say Bucks in seven in the finals now. So I, I guess we'll, we'll we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. Yeah, once they get through this series, we uh, as we. We'll watch and see if they can. Uh, that will be that will be the next uh, ridiculous step in this uh, this journey for the Bucks. But as I said, they will tip off at seven thirty on Wednesday night. Uh, this series, unlike the last series, uh, they're going to be playing every other day right the way through. So uh, Wednesday and then Friday are the two games uh, in Milwaukee. But uh, Ty, I will uh, I will catch you after Game One. And we'll see if our uh, post-game one podcast is a little bit different to the one against Boston. (laughs) Fingers crossed for that one, I would say. Um, Thank you, Kane. Uh, Thank you, everyone, for listening. Uh, We're excited to still be doing, you know, series previews and post-games and everything else at this point in an NBA postseason. Not really used to it, but I I don't think anyone in in Bucks, Bucks Nation, I guess, is complaining. Uh, if you like the show, despite my very raspy voice this episode, <laughs> you know, share, subscribe, rate, review, tell your friends, keep listening, uh, follow us on Twitter, everything else. And, you know, we, of course, always appreciate the support.
Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G. Because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Rootmetrics second half 2020 U.S. reported three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.